Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. And I know um, the recent news are not very pleasant to all the people in the US. I am, like most of you, angry, heartbroken, sad, and so many other emotions. I can't really put words on it. Just know that I'm with you. And let's hope that this can cheer you up even just a little. And yeah, let's just forget about the news for a second and talk about Downton Abbey. And more precisely, episode six of season two that I called the one where the war is over. I know it took me a long time to find this title, but you know, sometimes when it's obvious, it's obvious, you know, so let's start, shall we? So like I did in the previous episode, I'm just going to talk about the little storylines, the ones that are just, you know, it's not like the center of the episode, but it's still what important to me. And, you know, I like to go through things in detail, so, so it matters to me. And let's start with Thomas, because we haven't talked a lot about him recently, but now that the war is over, well, it's going to be over soon. <laughs> the question is, what will he do? Because technically he's not a servant anymore and he works for the army medical corps, but if there's no army anymore, you know, what will he do? And actually, Jane asked him in the servant's hall that question, say, what will you do when the war is over? And he said, I haven't really thought about it. And Mrs. Papmore tells him about the rationing problem. And she tells him that's starting to be difficult. We already talked about that in the previous episode, that it's starting to be difficult. And even if now the war is or will be over, the issue is that she still has people to feed. <laughs> so yes, she doesn't have the officers to feed anymore, but you still have the family and the servants. And how would she do that if she doesn't have food, actually, or like enough supplies to cook them food? And... <laughs> I quite like this little exchange. I like the fact that she tells that to Thomas because obviously she's suggesting something not very legal. So obviously she has to suggest it to Thomas. And I like what he says. Are you suggesting the black market, Mrs. Patmore? I'm shocked. Oh, I doubt that very much. I just like how she knows him. You know, like how she says that, you know, I doubt that very much. But then the idea is in his head and he can't stop actually thinking about it. And he talks about it with O'Brien. He says that he might have a plan because he has a bit of money and he might borrow some and he might have found a guy that can give him the supplies he needs. So he's really thinking about this whole black market situation, which obviously could be very handy, helpful with the rationing. But you see that O'Brien, she's not as confident as he is that it's a good idea, especially when he says that he borrowed some money because you're like, yeah, but if you're not sure to be able to give it back, that's maybe not the best idea. But he's confident about this whole thing. And we're going to follow that story about his black market idea in the next episode. Bananas. Last episode, we ended it with the death of William and so now Daisy technically she's a war widow but she doesn't really want to be for her she is not first because she says that uh, she didn't love William and then you know she's like I've been married to him like for what six hours so I technically I'm not really his widow and through the whole episode Jane tries to 
explain to her her rights because as a war widow she have rights that's why William wanted her to marry him and she tries to but Daisy just want to listen and even Mrs. Patmore she tries to tell her well that's why he wanted you to marry him so you should find out what what are your rights because that's what he wanted but Daisy she's still on her you know I didn't love him so it was wrong and well she feels very uncomfortable about this whole situation and then in the servants hall when almost all the servants are here they talk about it again and they try to tell her that yes she's a war widow and Mrs. Hughes like but you married him that was very kind of you it's like no it wasn't so it's really hard because you realize that all of them are like you know even if you like didn't love him the way that he loved you that was nice of you because that's what he wanted and I understand, I already said, I understand both sides. But for me, again, Daisy loved him much more than she says she did. Actually, in a, in a deleted scene, again, Jane wants to explain to her her rights. And Daisy, she feels very bad and she cries. Well, you see it in the episode, every time someone mentions something, she just leaves the room. And she's crying. And Jane then says to Mrs. Patmore, you realize that she would not feel the way she feels right now if she didn't love him even just a little and Miss Papa is like yeah I know but the thing is she doesn't realize that she loved him more than she says she did so she just needs time or someone else to make her realize that she actually loved William even if he wasn't the same way that he did but that she did bananas and so we have Daisy now who's a war widow we have Jane who's a war widow and so I thought that this would be my French word of the day. So, well, in English, just like in French, you have two words. You have widow for a woman and you have widower for a man. And I thought I would give you widower too, because in this episode, you have someone that becomes a widower. We're going to see that after, but yeah. So widow in French is veuve. It's written V-E-U-V-E. -E. And widower is veuf. V-E-U-F. So, yeah, it's very cheerful. I, I realize that that is a very, very, you know, happy word. But, I mean, it, it's in the, the context, you know. You have a lot of women, unfortunately, that are widows because of the war. So, yeah, widow is veuve and widower is veuf. Now, let's just take, like, what, two minutes to talk about Sybil and Branson. <laughs> because they do not have a, a lot of scenes together in this episode you know, where I stand with them. But I just like this scene because we know more about her plans. So she comes to see him and so they talk and she says, yeah, I know you want to take part in Iron's troubles, but I can't think about that. I can't think about my politics as long as the war isn't over. But now we know that the war is nearly over. She said, you know, will you wait? And he says, I'd wait forever. I'm not asking for forever, just a few more weeks. So she might not have right now made up her mind if she wants to elope with him, but I think she almost. Like the fact that she says that she wants to wait the end of the war almost means at the end of the war I'm ready to go. Well, at least he said that he would wait. You know, he didn't pressure her. I mean, it was two minutes. The scene is literally like maybe two minutes, but at least he didn't pressure her, he didn't try to persuade her. So I quite like that scene. <laughs> but we are getting closer to like the climax of this storyline but not quite yet that was just the little it's a little update actually on what is happening with them 
you know, for now, Sybil still at Downton and Brinson still the chauffeur for now. Bananas. Let's talk about Ethel. If you remember, she tried and failed to tell the father, Major Bryant, that, well, he was the father of a son. And Mrs. Hughes tried, but, well, they didn't manage to do it. And so Ethel comes to Downton because Mrs. Hughes is giving, is giving her food. But the issue is that Carson sees her. So then together they go see Cora and they talk about Ethel. And Mrs. Hughes says that, well, you know, I thought you wouldn't mind, you know, that we were supplementing her food because of the baby. But Mr. Carson said that it was best if I tell you. So now, you know. And she says, yeah, you know, Mr. Carson is right. And I... I'm a bit on Carson's and just on that note, clearly this whole scene, I'm with Mrs. Hughes and Cora, but just for that, you know, I can understand that Cora would like to be informed that she gives food to Ethel. And there were actually a line in this scene that were cut that I thought was quite funny, where Cora says, really, what with Mrs. Bird's old soldiers and now this, I'm beginning to feel we're feeding half of Europe. And yeah, well... <laughs> We talked about rationing, but just imagine she, if she gives food to Ethel, not that much, but she still gives food to Ethel. And she gives food for the soldiers that Mrs. Bird is feeding. Then you're like, okay, you know, it might be a problem. But anyway, so I talk about Ethel and Mrs. was like, yes, she was in the wrong, but, you know, a part of her is still, yes, it's a bit her fault, but it's not entirely her fault. It's also like bad luck, clearly. You know, if she didn't get pregnant, you know, I'm not saying everything would have been fine, but easier for her because she could have found a job much easier and, you know, life would have, would have been easier. But Carson, really in this scene, it just ugh, gets on my nerves. Carson, he says... Indeed she was. Men will always be men, but for any young woman to let her judgment so desert her... She's not the first girl to be taken in by a uniform. And don't worry, Carson, the baby will ensure she pays the price. I like this scene because Carson, he's angry. He's like appalled. Like there is something like for him. Ethel was in the wrong, but Mrs. used to, to give her food. And I like it because Cora, just by saying what she says, she just tells Carson, I do not agree with you. And it makes me think about what Edith in Deleted Tinder talked about, what she says to Mrs. Hughes that she have seen Major Bryant and Ethel kind of flirting, but she said that you should not right away blame the the maids because you know men with uniforms they're a bit attractive and you should blame like the officers more than the maids something like that and it's almost what Cora says you know when she said that she's not the first girl to be taken in by a uniform and you realize that she feels sorry and Castlewell he's a very conservative man in 1918 and so she thinks about it and so she even says to Miss Susie did Ethel tried to say anything to her father and she's like well she tried and I tried myself and well she failed because the guy is a bit of an asshole let's just say you know let's call a cat a cat I don't even know if that is a true expression in English but in French it, it is so I just translated it but you know and she thinks that well maybe if I write to this major and if I invite him here Maybe if I talk with him, and maybe if Lord Grantham can talk with him, you know, maybe he can prevail on his good nature. And I love Mrs. Yuzensha because, to be honest, I would have had the same. I'm not sure he's got one to prevail on. And like I said, I love this scene because 
Cora is on Mrs. Hughes' side. Well, she's on, she takes Ethel's defense. She's, she wants to try to help Ethel. Carson, he's like, no, I mean, she got into this mess alone. It just, what well, alone? No, but he, you know, men will always be men and stuff like that. So for him, he's like, just let her be, you know. And I really, really like this scene. And I like the fact that she says maybe Lord Grantham can prevail on his good nature because that means that even for her, Lord Grantham, so her husband, so Robert, because I suppose that she would have told him the situation. So for her, Robert would try to tell the father that uh, you need to do something because you're the father. So he would be more on his wife's side than Carson's. That's how I think. If Robert was here, he would have been more understanding a bit than um, Carson, definitely. And just take a break to say this blouse on Cora. Oh my God, I love it. I already said that I love her style in season two. I love this one. She's just so beautiful. I love it. And then following that, Mrs. Hughes, she's angry at Carson. She said, oh, are you happy now? And I think a part of her is quite happy that Cora is on her side. I really like this duo, truly. Like, I think, I think we need more Cora and Mrs. Hughes on this planet, truly. They can be a great pair, the two of them. Carson, he says that he feels sorry for Ethel. But I cannot condone her inability to pronounce a simple two-letter word. No. And a part of me wants to say, you know, with that and the whole man will be man that, okay, Carson is conservative and we're in 1918, but especially if you like look at the recent events that just occurred in the US and uh, even once say around the world, you're like, yeah, we're more than one century later and some people have exactly the same speech. So yeah, it's quite frightening actually to see that the world has not changed that much. But I love the fact that Mrs. Hughes, she's angry with him. And when you just ask him, you know, when the wine is here, can you just tell me? It's like, I don't care. You know what? You manage on your own. I am not helping you on that. But so then uh, she goes tell Ethel that Lady Grantham knows and that she has planned to write to the major. And she said, well, I don't know if it's going to work. And because Ethel thinks, oh my God, if Lord Grantham knows all my problems are solved. But Mrs. George is like, well, we don't know that, but I mean, it, it can't hurt. But we don't know what's going to happen. The worst thing that can happen is like the situation will not have changed. So it's almost like, yeah, let's just try if it works or not. But then Courage is in her bedroom just before going to bed. And Mrs. Hughes comes in and she says to her that she had received a letter from Major Brian's father. And he told her that the Major was scared. Which is kind of sad when you realize that the guy was already wounded. He was at the hospital, then the convalescence home. And then they sent him back. And it's sad the fact that he died when it was almost the end. Like, I feel a bit sorry, actually. And so Mrs. Yushita's Ethel, what happened? She's like, okay, I'm, I'm ruined. Like, what am I going to do? And you realize, like, she, she's, she doesn't know because her... One of her hopes was that the father would help her, but now the father is actually dead. And yes, she's lost. And then there's a really sad scene with her alone crying with her baby. But Miss Eustace, you know what? Invent the past. But, you know, at the beginning, she said to people that her husband died at war. And you know what? She should just invent that. Because, okay, she was not married, but technically the father of her son did die at the war. So 
you know what, invent, you know what, just say that you were married. I mean, can it hurt? Not really. I really, really feel sorry. I, like I said, I didn't love Ethel, but I really feel sorry that this story ended up that way. Well, I say this story ended up that way, but actually, it's not the end. Not yet. Bananas. Now, Bates and Anna. Last episode, we thought that everything was, well, almost everything was fine because Mrs. Bates couldn't set the scandal. We thought, okay, she and Mr. Bates are going to get divorced. Anna and Bates are going to get married. And actually, they talk about that downstairs and talk about their wedding. And O'Brien is unusually not me. Well, not really. You know, they talk about that. Jane is like, oh, I never worked in a household where a valet and a maid were married. And O'Brien's like, well, I hope it won't break us up, you know, because I don't like when things are, are changing. And then I go, Bates like, oh, because we've all been just such good pals, you know, since then. It's not like you tried to get rid of me so many times. But she's not, you know, unkind, which is unusual for O'Brien. And so Bill is like, oh, they're going to get married. They're on the little cloud. Like Anna said last episode, everything in the garden is rosy again. Yay. But remember, when it's about Anna and Bates, happiness is boring. And Bates has a call from his lawyer. And apparently there is a problem. Uh, the problem is that she told the judge that he paid her to get a divorce, which she kind of did. And so, well, so there is trouble in the whole thing. So he's not divorced after all. Anna, she tries to comfort him. We are going to win this fight, you know. We are going to be together, whatever it takes. But it makes me think, you know, when I talked about Anna and Bates already with the song Ivy from Taylor Swift, when I say it's a goddamn fight of my life and you started it, well, this is exactly them being together is the goddamn fight of their lives. And O'Brien, she listened to the whole conversation because, you know, she had to. And then Bates, he realized that he has to go to London to talk with his wife, where he doesn't know what he's going to say, but it's like, I, I don't know, I need to try. And then he um, talks with Robert, and he says that he needs to go to London. And Robert's like, oh, please tell me it's not about the former Mrs. Bates. And he says, I only wish she was the former, or better still, the late. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say, when you hear that, you're like, uh-huh, suspicious. Like, it's, I think it's a weird thing to say. But like when Robert tells him, you know, don't lose your temper because this is obviously it will never get you somewhere, right? Like if you lose your temper, it would go against you. So try to stay calm. And then at the end, Bates is back, but he has bruises on his face. And he says to Anna, it was worse than you can possibly imagine. You have that, then you think about what he said to Robert, no better still the late. And you're like, uh, I don't like the look of it all. And then he receives a telegram and... He has news, and the news is his wife is dead. So you know when I said that, someone becomes a widower, where it's, it's him. So now Mr. Bates doesn't need to get a divorce because he's a widower. And everyone actually is shocked downstairs at the fact that his wife is dead. We are too. And our first thought is like, oh my God, did Bates do it? Because all the evidence are putting to him. And maybe it's why I've never been a fan of Anna and Bates, because I love Anna. She's such a sweetheart. But Bates, sometimes, I think he's scary. 
he has some way of saying things that is just so violent and mean you know like when he talked with mrs bates or even just when he talked with his lawyer like because if you compare like sometimes yes robert is angry but it's not the same feeling that i have like i think i fear more when bates is angry and well when now there's nothing rosy in their garden but it's definitely not the end. I think maybe that's why I'm a bit annoyed is that they never have a moment where they can breathe. You know, when they think, oh, it's okay, everything will be right. No, there's something more. Like, ugh, it's tiring, you know. But like I said, happiness is boring. So, yep, definitely not the end of their troubles. Bananas. But now let's talk about my favorite storyline of this episode. Because it's something, you know, a bit more lightweight, a bit funnier. And you have a lot of Cora and she's very sweet in it. And you have Violet Isabel. So, you know, literally my favorite story of this episode. So, like I said, it's around Isabel. And so Cora invited there at Crowley House for tea. And where they talk about Matthew, they talk about soldiers. And Isabel's like, well, but I wonder if we do enough for them, you know in terms of rehabilitation and Cora's like well yeah I agree but you know they're gonna be leaving soon because but the war is almost over in her face like you know but I mean they're gonna stay as long as they need to to stay but you know what in the end we will have our house back I mean yeah because it's our house so you want it just to be a private house again oh shouldn't she or would you like to abolish private houses and the says well you know would be better if downtown would be useful and Crush is like, well, uh, technically it is useful. I mean, we we have employers, so that's, I mean, <laughs> you realize that she's like, uh, where am I supposed to answer to that? And so uh, the plan of Isabel is like to keep Downton open as a convalescent and home or something else, but to keep it open to help people, you know. And Violet's like, what? What about you, Mosley? Are you looking forward to this brave new world of Mrs. Crawley's imaginings? I'm glad of my job, milady, And I should very much like to hold on to it, with Mrs. Crawley's permission. I just love the fact that Violet didn't know what to say, so she had to drag Mosley in it. Like, oh, Mosley, what do you think about it? <laughs> I love it. And then Isabel, she says, Servants are always far more conservative than their employers. Everyone knows that. Then I must be the exception that proves the rule. I love this scene because um, Isabel and Cora, they do not want to fight again like they did. But Cora, she doesn't want Isabel to run it because, yeah, her point is to keep Downton open and Isabel could run it. Cora's like, no, please. We tried that, you know, being together at the head of some, because it would still be Cora's house. So they kind of would run it together. I mean, I don't know how that could have worked. She's like, no, please, no, I don't want that. And oh, I already said it uh, with Matthew, uh, with the walls of Cora's house being blue and his eyes. But Cora's eyes, with this blue wall, I mean, absolutely magnificent. Really. I know I already said it a couple of minutes earlier that she was very beautiful, but I haven't said it last episode, so I have to say it more in this one, you know. Uh, but yeah, truly, like, oh my God, couldn't take my eyes off, well, her eyes. <laughs> oh, so mesmerizing. I love it. But so, this issue with Isabel wanting to run downtown and talk about it again. So there's Cora, Violet, and Robert. And Robert just says that he can't wait to have Downton back. <laughs> Cora's like, well, uh, if Isabel doesn't want to get through with her ideas, because if she wants, well, we won't have Downton back. 
And Violet is like, what you need to do is to find her a cause that needs her more than Downton because she won't be able to do both. Anyway, obviously, Violet, she, well, she had to find a solution to this. So Isabel, she's at the Dower House and she wants to tell her about the plans that she has for Downton. And Violet, she's literally listing a list of um, causes that Isabel could be interested in, you know, like, oh, those poor children. And then she has an answer to like, oh, okay. Okay. But those women, I mean, they're going to lose their jobs. And when the boys are coming back home and Isabel's like, yeah, but you know, it's important that we find a job for them too. It's like, okay, okay. And then says, And what about this wretched refugees? What will become of them? Ah, oh, now you've struck a chord. Have I really? Oh, thank heaven. This scene, I just like when she says, oh, really? Thank heaven. I found it. And the whole, you know, thing that, yeah, but, you know, your experience would be such tremendous help. Someone said that. Oh, well, I don't really remember who, but someone said that. I mean, and I like when Isabel's like, well, I will think about it. And if I said, please do think about it, please. <laughs> and so then Cora and Violet are again at Cray House. And, oh my God, this scene, all those scenes, I just love them. Isabel said, well, I, I'm afraid, Cousin Corrado, I'm going to prove to be a great disappointment. And Cora's face, she's like, oh, I just love her expression. Then Isabel says, Cousin Violet is in part to blame. Yes, I usually am. And then she says that she won't be able to run Downton because she has found a new cause, we know, with the refugees and stuff. But she hopes that maybe Cora would keep Downton open. And Cora's like, well, I love how she says that. Well, it was not really our idea, so no. But think about all the great things that you would do. I mean, imagine. I mean, yeah, that's great. And and she drags Violet and she says, don't you agree, Mama? Right? That it is great what Cousin Isabel would do. And Violet. I, I cannot find the words to say how I feel. What do you, what do you think, mostly? Sometimes fate knows best, lady. I couldn't put it better myself. I just love the fact she drags Mosley into it again. But everything is just, I mean, they acted perfectly. You know, like the, oh, oh, we're so sorry that you wouldn't be able to run Downton. I mean, really, this, this scene, I love it. And again, <laughs> Cora and her eyes with the wall. So pretty. And then Cora and Violet, they're in the car. I love this scene too, because Cora's like, she really can do something. If I say, yeah. I arrange everything, you know, everything is settled. And Crandon says, I know it was for Robert and the girls, but I thank you without irony from the bottom of my heart. And I accept your thanks, my dear, with no trace of irony either. I love it because it quite makes me sad that the first thing that Cora thinks is that she only did it for Robert and the girls. I think a part of me, maybe it's a part of me that wants to believe that Violet is not that, it's not cruel, but you know, unkind to Cora. That she kind of did it for Cora too. Or maybe she did it for Robert in a way that if Cora doesn't work again, she'll be more present for Robert, but that would be for another storyline. But I really, really love this scene. Like, I mean, it's like Violet says, they're allies. And it just proves that it can be really effective. And now, I think is the storyline I like the least in the whole show. And thank God it's only one episode. 
it all starts with Clarkson coming to the library to say to Robert that they have a major Gordon that wants to come at Downton to convalesce and that he says apparently that he has a link to the family. Robert says that he's welcome, but he doesn't really know if there is a connection. But he's like, well, we might never know. I mean, in the aristocracy, there's a lot of people. I mean, not say that they're all related, but, you know, they can maybe be related in one way or another. And so then this major arrived and we see him looking at pictures, like a private pictures of the family. And then he talks with Edith and he says that he don't recognize me. And so apparently she should recognize him, but she doesn't. Then again, when she comes back to see him, you're like, you know, I've changed because, yeah, he was caught in a blast. So he was really severely burned. So you can't really recognize his face. He's like, you know, but I used to come at Downton a lot as a boy. Edith is like, well, so, I mean, if you came here, that means I really know you. And so then he claims to be Patrick. So Patrick, the same Patrick that was supposed to marry Mary, the son of Robert's first cousin, who died with his father on the Titanic. The heir, actually. I mean, the man that was the heir before Matthew. And he explains to Edith that after the sinking of the Titanic, he was rescued, but he had no memory. And they mistaked him as Canadian, so he thought he was Canadian. But after the blast that injured him, he remembered and so he thought, I will come to downtown and everybody will recognize me. And hey, I'm going to be part of the family again. <laughs> Why didn't it work? Edith, she's shocked. But the issue is, and he chose his victim well, is that Edith, we know, she was in love with Patrick. And the guy even tells her, you are the one that really loved me. And she said, I never thought that Patrick knew. He said, well, I know. So that makes you think that maybe he is Patrick, but this is weird. The thing that I felt really weird is the way he talks about the new heir, because, so Edith, she's shocked, and he talked to Pa, and we have Matthew to think about him because the new heir, says, oh yeah, well, that must be really difficult for him. But it's the way he says it, like it's, so yeah, we, we know of course that if he's alive, he's the heir, but the fact that, not that he's the first thing that he thinks about, but almost, like, oh yeah, well, I'm back, so I'm the, the heir, the new one can just, go away i don't know but it's how i felt it that at that moment i really what well, the whole story that makes me cringe but this moment really i was like uh-huh this is weird i i really don't know how to explain it, but it's the way he said oh yeah um, it would be difficult for him you know because now i'm back and the new air it's i'm not saying it's the first thing he says to edith but almost you know like yeah bit suspicious but so then edith she comes to talk to robert about it and so robert comes to see this major gordon He's very suspicious. You can see that he, compared to Edith, that is already all in with all the feelings and stuff. He wants to keep a distance. Even um, when the major calls him Robert, it's like, <laughs> don't call me Robert. <laughs> and so this uh, Gordon tells him that he had his story written. And so Robert says that he will ask his lawyer to try to find if his story is true, accurate, something. But then he does something, like a sort of a cross on his mouth with his finger. And that starts with Robert. He just stops it. What did you just do? Why did you learn to do that? So we can guess that it was something that the real Patrick used to do a lot. But you see that Robert, he's very suspicious. And he's, you see the way he looks at him, like, are you, are you not? The guy is really weird. 
everything like he says robert well yeah the whole thing is uh is odd but then he summons everyone in the library to talk about it because it's really important and he says well i wanted to talk in private i wanted us to be disturbed and violet i love it when she says are we talking financial ruin or criminal investigation did she just foreshadow the show bananas but though they talk about patrick robert the man that claims to be patrick and they all have different reactions. Edith is like, no, but he, he must be him. He, he remembers a lot of things that only Patrick could remember. Mary, she's angry. And we'll talk about her a bit more in detail later, but she's really angry. Cora, she tries to <laughs> calm the situation. The thing is, they don't know if it's him. And they don't know how to check if it's him or not. But Matthew, he's angry too. He's angry too, but he's more angry at himself. You know, he's like, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. The guy, maybe he's not pretty, but he can walk and he can probably make airs, which I can't. So maybe it's best. And so obviously everyone is a bit startled by that because they all like Matthew. Like Violet says, we're used to Matthew now. So it's, yeah, it's quite sad for him to say that. So, so Robert's like, well, I'm going to wait for the lawyers, but he, he's really like, I don't know. <laughs> then Edith and Gordon, they're walking outside and they talk about old memories but very vague ones you know he says where well, we used to play together and he talks about a governess that none of them liked but and Edith is like oh but I do recognize you and you realize that they're getting closer and I do not like that but then it takes a, a long time for the others to well to, to recognize him and Edith is like well you know it's because of the lawyers and it's like well but we would not need lawyers if they would recognize me. And so he gets very angry because no one recognized him. And then the family is in the library again because Robert had answers from his lawyers. And Mary and Violet, they are sure that he is an imposter. That he's just someone that, like he knew the real Patrick and he used the story because Patrick is dead and used the story to now become him and, you know, take his place. But Edith, she doesn't want to be there. She says, no, I'm telling you, he knows things only the real Patrick knows. And Mary, she's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I can tell you, what did he tell you? Look, I remember when we played and your birthday and your pony and the nasty governess. And there's a moment you see something on Edith's face because she just realized that what Mary said is what exactly he said. You know, some basic things that if you just check a bit about ways to spend lives in the house like downtown you can make it up and if he, the guy really knew the real patrick and he had a good memory he doesn't really have to make it up a lot because he already knew the stories so um Edith is the only one that she wants to believe that he's the real patrick but we know why because she was in love with him so yeah but robert he doesn't know he really he, you see that he's confused because he was very fond of Patrick, we know that, but I mean, he loves Matthew. I think he loves Matthew way more than he loves Patrick. So the guy is conflicted and he doesn't know what to think. And then I just like when they all leave the room, Violet, she, she put her hand on Matthew's shoulder as a way of saying, you know, like, uh, hang on, you know, something like that. And I love it because Violet at the beginning, she wasn't too keen on Matthew. And I love, you know, I mean, she said it, you know, we used to Matthew now. And I, I love this little gesture. It was really sweet. And so Matthew and Robert, they talk together 
And I think it was very moving because um, Robert is almost like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry about what is happening. You know, and Matthew's like, well, I know I meant what I said, you know, the other day when I said maybe it was a blessing in disguise because... It'll take a man who is more than I am now to follow you. So don't think about me. My dear chap, how can you say that? I never think about anything else. I thought it was very sweet. I think the first thing he thought about when he heard that Patrick might be alive was, what about Matthew? And so I think that scene uh, was really sweet and sad. But then Edith, she's with Gordon again, and they talk about what they discovered, what the lawyers discovered. And the guy is just way too weird. You know, they say that he's, they're going to find this Peter Gordon, or the other guy. Talk about another guy. He's like, why did they find him? The way he talks, it's really weird. It's almost like at that moment, just realized that he had been caught and that his plan didn't work. And I don't know, it's weird. The guy is too weird. And then actually, in the end, he's gone. And before leaving, he left a letter to Edith saying that he was too hard, that he was sorry, that he left you. And he signed it, P. Gordon. And the question was, but was he Patrick? Gordon, so Patrick Crowley, or P for Peter, so Peter Gordon, the other man. And Edith, she's sure that it was Patrick. And she even says, our family drove our cousin away. And Sybil, because she's the sweetest, tries to comfort her. And she says, But you believed in him, whoever he was. And that's worth something. And then to end up this tour, and, and just before giving you my opinion on this, um, there was a scene that was cut, but this was a scene that was actually shot because I've seen it, where Robert is married that the major is gone. And Mary's like, well, you know, it was an imposter. I mean, we knew he was a fraud. And, and Robert tells her, I wish I could be as sure of anything as well of everything. But then he wonders, like, what I would love to know is why would anyone put themselves through all that? And Mary says, to be Earl of Grantham, of course. And then Robert answers, they should try it from the inside. So, about this storyline. I don't understand why Julian did that. I personally think that this was not Patrick, and it was this Peter Gordon that took Patrick's place and invented a life to be Earl of Grantham. I really believe that the guy just wanted to be then an Earl and have an estate and everything. I do not think he was the real Patrick because I thought it was way too weird the way he talked. And the guy is a bit of a bully with Edith. He found that she was maybe not naive, but the easiest to manipulate with her feelings. And especially if he knew the real Patrick, he must have known that the real Patrick was in love with Edith or that Edith loved him. So it was easier to manipulate her and to persuade her that he was the real Patrick. And it's really at the end when they talk together, how he said, oh, you know, you're very sweet. Like, like he realized that his plan will not work. And even when he talks about the new ex, oh, yeah, it would be really hard on Cousin Matthew and stuff. I don't know. And the fact that he did this um, tick that maybe Patrick had, to me, it felt like he did it on purpose when Robert was there to make him realize, oh, look, Patrick did that all the time. I just did it. So, hey, I'm Patrick. I don't know, but I think he was not the real one. And... I think it was really cruel to Edith to do that because she was in love with Patrick. And I think a part of wanted to believe that he was Patrick because she liked Anthony Strallen and he was supposed to propose and he didn't because of Mary. Then she kind of had a fling with the, the farmer. We knew that she would have never married him, but she had something. And now she just realized that maybe the man that she loved, like truly loved, was back. So she wanted to believe it. And... I mean, I think if you just see it on the outside, you're just like, okay, she's stupid. But she really wanted to believe because she's, she loved him. 
maybe she's not over his death and i think it was really cruel because edith now she's heartbroken again and yeah she was a bit naive to fall for it but again she wanted to believe it because she loved patrick so i thought it was not very nice to do that and clearly i mean what did it bring to the story as a whole nothing except breaking edith's heart again so i don't know really i don't know why jen did that and if i just had to choose one storyline that i think is useless is this one it's a short one it's only for one episode and thank god it's only for one episode if this story had been going on for like a couple episodes i mean that would have been so boring and yeah no, i would not have liked it there's other storylines i can get to my nerves but actually this one thank god it was only one episode but now let's talk about what interests us the most what well, i guess is what interests us the most well mary and matthew are not my favorite ship because you know who my favorite ship is but i'm really i feel very invested in their relationship and i really love them so let's talk about mary and matthew and richard and a bit of lavinia you know at this point it's not even a love triangle anymore it's a love square so the episode opens on mary who's pushing matthew on his chair outside this shot is very beautiful because you have the castle behind him it's very beautiful and then inside you have carlisle with robert watching them and carlisle he even says should i be jealous you know because uh <laughs> Robert is fed up with the guy. The guy just appears. He's already fed up with him. Like, truly. You can, you can feel it on his face. And they talk about Hagsby Park. Because apparently Carlisle wants to buy a house near Downton. And it's the best one. And so Robert talks about the Hagsby Park. And says, well, that's sad because the owners, the Brussels and the Crawleys have been neighbors for centuries. So apparently they knew them. And Mary, she went there and stuff. And like lots of families after the war they just give it up and they just sold the house and so for those of you who have seen the gated age we as downtown abbey fans we would love to have some kind of a maybe not the crossover but some kind of link to downtown abbey in the gated age we, we would love to see like i don't know a young cora or cora's family i talk about that now because in the gated age we have a family called the russells so when I heard that apparently the Russells and the Crawleys has been neighbors for centuries, like, oh my God. Obviously, in terms of a uh, date, it doesn't fit. Like the Russells from uh, the Gilded Age could not have been those neighbors or their descendants because it doesn't fit the, the timeline. But, I mean, is it only a pure coincidence that Julian used the same name for the two families, like the Russells? Like, or did he just forget that he used it already and he put it back? I mean, maybe it's a really common name but you know for me there is no such thing as a coincidence so i don't know <laughs> i know i'm hoping really but when i heard robert said the russell like wait what russell's as in bertha and george russell from the gilded age well anyway i just thought it was quite funny but so richard Carlyle has the intention to buy Hagsby park and he says oh i'm gonna put a lot of money in it i'm gonna put bathroom in every bedroom i'm gonna do something like really fancy and Robert's really fed up. He's like, uh, okay, so you want to make a hotel out of it, okay? And then they talk about Violet, Robert, and Cora. It's the same scene where they talk a bit about Isabel. Violet, she says, I don't dislike him. I just don't like him. She's quite different. Oh, Violet, I love her. And Robert's like, wait, well, do you know about his plans for Hagsby? It's absolutely awful. 
And then I point but obviously Cora doesn't agree. And she says, I'm an American. I don't share your English hatred of comfort. That's when Robert says, you know, Downton is comfortable enough for me. And he says, I can't wait to have it back. And then they talk about Elizabeth. And then there were a diligent scene that I thought was really interesting. And I'm quite sad that they didn't kept it. Mary is in her room with Anna just before going to bed. And Crush just came to tell her something about Richard and his journey with Mary uh, at Hagsby. And you realize that Crush is very invested in Mary's re- relationship with Carlisle. But then she says goodnight and she leaves. And Mary says to Anna, she's afraid I still want Matthew with all his limitations. And then Anna says, and do you, my lady? And Mary answers, only when I'm honest. So you realize that she's way too attached to Matthew. We already knew that, but she, at that moment, she confessed it. Like she says, yes, if I am honest with you, with myself, I still want Matthew, whatever his prospect, whatever his situation, I want him. And so then she has a day with Carlisle at Hagsby. A big, big, big castle, very empty. And so, well, then she says, okay, but what we do with furniture and paintings and stuff because it's uh, empty. And he says, well, we're going to buy it. The basic Richard Carlyle's answer is, I'm going to buy it, always talking about money. And Mary tells him, your lot buys it, my lot inherits it. I like how she says that, but it's almost a way to tell him to not forget that I am from the aristocracy and you're not. But then he says, so what should we do? Should I buy it or not? And she says very casually, well, I suppose one has to live somewhere. But you realize the way she says that, almost she doesn't care. She's like, yeah, okay, let's buy it. She doesn't care because she would prefer to be with Matthew, but yeah. And then we have a scene between Mary and Matthew and I love this scene. I absolutely love it. Like the whole conversation is just so good. So they talk about the fact that Richard wants to buy Hagsby. And then she says, I didn't have to marry him, you know. Yes, you do. I thought for a moment that I was an argument against your marriage. I should jump into the nearest river. And how would you manage that without my help? Well, I'd get you to push me in. (laughs) Seriously, I can only relax because I know that you have a real life coming. If I ever thought I was putting that in jeopardy, I'd go away and never see you again. You don't mean that. But I do. I am the cat that walks by himself, and all places are alike to me. I have nothing to give and nothing to share. If you were not engaged to be married, I wouldn't let you anywhere near me. I love it because, again, you see how they're so at ease with each other. Again, like Cora said, you know, like they're so natural together. And just the fact that I don't have to marry him, it almost is a way to tell him, we can get married if you want. I mean, come on, it's almost like that. He's like, no. I realized that he meant when he said last episode that he couldn't let anyone live with him, with his condition. And it's very sad. But like I said, Mary, well, she wants him. She almost told him like plainly. And so now is the moment for my music of the day. I know most of my music of the day are for the two of them, but I mean, they have so many things happening in this relationship that, you know, you have, I think you have hundreds of songs that could work for them. And it is not a Taylor Swift song. I think I deserve applause just for that.
So that was In My Head by Maisie Peters. I know we already had Maisie Peters, but I mean, it's not Tara Swift, so it's a change. Yeah, I really thought about this because I think In My Head is exactly what Mary thinks. You know, in my head, I'm yours. Because for Mary, she's Matthews. And the song Splash even says that you don't care who I'm kissing. Like, it says, I watch you go, but I'm still yours in my head. In a way to say that he wants her to have a life. So it's not like he doesn't care who she's going to marry, but he's relieved that she will marry someone. Because for him, like, if you marry someone else, that means you don't think about me anymore. And so it's much better. And so, yeah, which is quite sad in a way. But now you realized with the whole thing with the, the Patrick, when she was angry, actually, she almost cried. You know, when she says, no, I think it's so unfair when Matthew has been through so much. And then how she reacts you realize because she is totally in love with him and i think the more uh, she can't be with him the more she loves him you know because now technically her engagement has been announced so technically she is really properly engaged to carly but i think but the more she is away from him in a way that you know they can't be together the more she loves him and you know she said it to anna even if he was there to see him that she wants him and she wants to be with him and she just told him i don't have to marry him you know uh, for me that means you know maybe we can get married but so this whole scene they're in the garden and richard and cora are looking at them and richard he manipulates cora i'm not saying that she's stupid she can't think by herself but he knows exactly what to say to her as a mother he, what he wants is for lavinia to come back because if lavinia comes back then she would take care of Matthew and Mary Matthew would spend less time together. Then they were at dinner and they were waiting for Richard and he arrives when dinner is over, but he arrives with Lavinia. And why they're all shocked because nobody knew except from Cora. Carson, you see, he's absolutely not pleased by the idea of him back and especially Lavinia because I think like maybe Robert, they were like, oh, Mary and Matthew together is better than Mary and Carlisle. So, yeah. And Lavinia, she says to Matthew that she's going to take care of him, you know, because she loves him. She, she told Mary that uh, she'll die if she can't be with him. And so she said that she wants to be with him and that she will take care of him and that she would stay. And Mary and Richard. This scene, you realize that first, Mary, well, you knew already, but in this scene, you realize that Mary is absolutely not over Matthew. That Richard, we knew he could be angry and we knew he was not a very nice man. We saw his true face. Because Mary's like, well, suppose he won't take back, you know, because the Bible's like, because maybe he wants me. And Kyle's like, well, it's not of you concerned. And then he is a bit violent with her and he says, You have given me the power to destroy you and don't think I won't use it. Hate the sound of that. It's like the, as of my future wife, you're entitled to be in my debt. <laughs> don't like the sound of it. I mean, it's a threat. Like this conversation, it's a threat. And he ends up by kissing her. You can see that she's not uh, over the moon by the kiss. It's not the, the kiss with Matthew that she had, you know, in season one. And so obviously you feel bad because, again, Lavinia is not a bad girl. And I, I'm not against her being happy. My issue is that if she's happy or she is with Matthew, that means... Mary is with Carlisle and I absolutely do not want that because even if Mary is not my fairy character and sometimes she gets on my nerves, she does not deserve to end up with a man like Carlisle because I don't like him. 
he you realize that he can be really violent and i do not want to imagine what it can be to be married to him so yeah don't like him and then at the end matthew he might have felt something in his leg well he doesn't say that. i say if i felt something and you realize that he might have had something in his legs so maybe maybe he will not stay paralyzed maybe there's hope but that could change everything bananas but then to continue on this story of Hugsby Park and Carlyle wanting to buy it, Carlyle wants to offer Carson a job. I really like this scene between the two of them when Carson is in Carlyle's room when he says that he wants to offer a job and Carson is like, I have a job. <laughs> Why would I need another one? And what I like in this whole conversation is every time that Carlyle mentions the word money, think of buying, what the fact that he is rich, Carson's face, you see how it annoys him. He says, well, you would mean a great increase of salary. It's like, <clears throat> I don't care. Then he says, you know, uh, I would have to buy new things for Huxby, but nothing that money can fix. And really, Carson's face, like, ugh, he's fed up with him. Because the guy can't help to say that he's rich, that he made his money himself and because he's a self-made man. And so everyone is like, annoyed with him. Well, and actually, so he wants Carson to be the butler of Hagsby Park. But Carson's like, well, he was supposed to be a surprise for Lady Mary, but it's like, I wait Lady Mary's instructions. And when Matthew and Mary are together, that scene I talked about that I love, she's like, well, uh, Carl, I want Carson to come with us. And Matthew's like, well, you, Papa, will not be pleased. And Mary, she says, well, maybe he doesn't want to go with me. And Matthew says, since he would open his veins for you, I don't think there's much doubt. Which is true you know that he would leave Downton for Mary, he would do anything for Mary. Then uh, Carson is in the dining room and he is checking that everything is in order before dinner and Mary comes to see him and to tell him you know, about her plans, where well, their plans are hers and Richard to ask Carson to be the butler. But Carson, he says that he would give her an answer after she was spoke to his lordship. You know, if Robert says, I do not want Carson to go, Carson would not go. So he says he would wait for his lordship's answer. And so Mary, she comes to talk to Robert. I love this scene. Robert, he says, You know there is nothing more ill-bred than to steal other people's servants. But you're not other people. And Carson brought me up. I just love it because apparently it's a favorite phrase of him, of Robert, to say nothing more ill-bred. Because he's going to say that again, not now, but in the future. Bananas. I love how Mary says, like, Carson brought me up, like, you know, he's almost my nanny. I want him, okay? He's like a dad to me. I want him with me. And Robert's like, well, yeah, but what does he say? Does he want to go? And Mary's like, well, he says that he would say nothing and he waits for what you have to say on it. He waits for your permission. And Robert's like, oh, great. He waits for my permission. How can I refuse a man who says that? Yeah, I love this, uh, this scene because I thought it, it's very funny. But you realize that Robert doesn't really want Carson to go. And so then you see Carson ringing the gong, which I do not think we have seen him do that before. So I thought it was really interesting. And so Carl just tells him that he's going to London when he comes back. Maybe Carson can give him his answer about him coming to be the captain of their ship. And then when he's with Mrs. Hughes, she realized that he has made up his mind and that he would go. But he's really sad to go because he always thought that he would die at Downton. Um, but he would work for Mary because it's Mary. And I like when he says, well, don't tell me you miss, you're going to miss me. And she's like, well, yes, 
I'm going to miss you very much and like I'm not ashamed to say it and I thought it was very sweet and he says well thank you like he's very touched by that and he's very very sweet and I think it's quite funny if you think about what Carson said about Ethel uh, you know men will be men and she can't say no I think it's funny because he knows the scandal or I think he knows it tell me what you think about it but he knows the scandal with Mary and Mr. Pamuk but Mary is still Mary so I think for me, I, I think he thinks it's bullshit. But when it's Ethel who made a mistake and didn't say no to a man because she quite liked him, then he says that it's her fault. But when Mary did the same, and well, there are some consequences because a guy ended up being dead after that. Well, no, Mary is without fault. I thought it was quite intriguing because when it comes to Mary, like nothing else matters. And then we have my favorite shot of this episode. My favorite scene, so beautiful. It's Carson and Robert at the front door and they're outside. And first the camera is outside and they talk well about the fact that Carson will leave. And they have the same position, like they have the same body uh, position. And then the shot ends when you see their backs because first you're outside and then the shot is from the inside and it's just so it looks like a painting i just i love this shot and just before that you know Carson says you know that i will i will not leave until we find a proper replacement and robert tells him whoever we find won't replace you and then he ends on this beautiful shot it just like i said it's daddy from upstairs and daddy from downstairs just love this shot and i love it because Robert has known Carson almost all his life because Carson arrived as a whole boy when Robert's father was here. So Robert must have known him since he was like, maybe not a teenager, but a young adult. I mean, Carson must have seen Robert getting married. He have seen him having children. He have seen him grow all his life. And I think for Robert to let him go is hard because I think Robert thought that Carson would stay butler until he died. And I, yeah. And surely that is difficult for him and that will not help him. You know, him being completely depressed already, that must only add to his depression. Because now we're going to talk about Colbert and Jane. Yes, because we have to. Robert is still depressed. Okay, maybe he bases his back, so he kind of maybe take it away of him. But with Matthew's condition, he just, yeah. I mean, maybe he saw a bit of light when Bates came back and Matthew, you know, um, you know, Matthew is still alive. But I think this light is already, Matthew's condition has cast a shadow over it. And in a deleted scene that I've seen, so it was shot, Robert's getting dressed. So he says to Bates, so like the war is over, but I haven't been in it. And Bates tries to comfort him, said, well, haven't we all been in the war, you know, in our own way? I like it because then Robert says, oh, you sound like her ladyship. And Bates like, well, then I agree with her. Which I think is quite funny because, like I said already, Bates and Cora, they have a lot in common, especially when it regards Robert. I mean, they could be quite friends. I, I still think they could be, but Cora is still on her. I don't really like him and still blame Robert for that. But anyway, so he's still on his, um, because we thought that was past him, but it is not. You know, he still has this, I was a fraud situation. He still feels very bad. And Matthew's condition doesn't help. Like, truly, he's at the bottom. And I think the whole thing about Carson maybe leaving, it adds something more. So to talk about, again, this scene with Violet, Cora, and Robert, where, you know, 
Violet says that she doesn't dislike Richard, she just doesn't like him. Actually, Violet is leaving. And so when she leaves, there's a maid who gives her a cloak. And that maid is Jane. And the moment when she gives Violet a cloak, there's an eye contact with Robert. And he smiles a bit. I don't like it. Okay, I'm like, do not look at her. And I think I don't even like it because there's a bit of a smile when he sees her. When next to him, so the maid is on his left, and on his right, there's Cora. You do not smile and look at the maid when you have Cora next to you. Maybe it's just me, but I'm like, why do you have to look at the maid? When you have Cora, aka one of the most beautiful person on the planet, next to you. I mean, I do not get it. But what I thought was interesting is that in the script book, it says that it's Anna who brings Violet her cloak. Why did I put Jane? Maybe because it's a bit more um, dramatic. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't like it. And then when well, Robert is upset because he's going to be alone for lunch because Mary is with uh, Carlisle at Hagsby, Sybil is working, Edith is at Violet, and Cora, where well, she has work to do. I said that in an... Um, was it the last episode or the episode before? I can't remember. When, you know, in a scene, she says that she wants to have her luncheon on the tray from now on because she has too much to do. And uh, there's a comment by Adrian Fellows that I thought was really interesting, so I'm going to read it to you. He says, Cora has found a role that is much more in keeping with her own upbringing than just being an English lady sitting on a sofa. She's truer to her real self here. To comment on that, I think that I think it's, it, it works for everyone. I think it works for Sybil. It works for Edith. I'm not going to say that before the war, they thought they were useless. They didn't have a purpose. Maybe Sybil or maybe Edith because they are the younger generation. But I think Cora, as a role of um, lady of the house, I think she quite liked it. I think she was content with it, you know, organizing party and bazaars and flower shows. I think she was okay with it. But the war gave her something more. And it's almost like gave her something useful. I don't say that what she did was not useful, you know, organizing things for charity or stuff or dinners. But when you do something like managing the convalescence home, you know that you do that for um, helping wounded soldiers. So I think she found something new. She loved it so much. She realized that she loved it so much. I mean, that would lead to what would happen to her in the last season, Bananas. But I, I really think it's that because I don't, I don't believe that before that she thought she was useless or she thought she had no purpose. It just, it gave her something more. And then Julian says, Robert, because actually Robert, the character, is based on Julian Fellow's father, but he says that he's not actually as clever as his own father. But so he says, Robert takes for granted that he's the center of the picture. And when that is threatened, he doesn't like it much. He already said it. But that is the issue here. He took for granted the fact that his wife was always around him and that the world revolves a bit around him. Like like we said, I said it again, it was also a comment from Julian when he said that they were used to have like those were being around them, that they were to not do anything for them, but you know, as being the, the hostess and the mistress of the house. Now I'm gonna say they had nothing to do, but they had much more to do and they had to had to appear that they um, you do not see what happened behind the curtain. I don't know if you understand what I mean. And so actually they kind of both taken each other for granted. Like Cora took him for granted by not taking care of him at all. Uh, we don't know what happened, you know, when they alone in bed because you don't have that much scenes with the two of them, just the two of them actually, except when they are actually angry at each other in season two. But 
I don't know what happens the rest of the day, but you see that she doesn't have a lot of time for him. But he took for granted the fact that she was always here for him and he has wanted her to go. You have this kind of situation and they didn't found the right balance between the two, between the, I'm going to take care a bit of you, but I have work to do. And him being like, okay, I'm agreed to not be the center of your picture, but maybe work a bit less for, you know, because there is really a lack of communication. That is the biggest issue in this season. And then there was a scene that was cut between Edith and Violet when Edith, so for lunch, she was at Violet. Actually, in the scene they talk about Isabel and Violet's like, well, which uh, causes are the best for Isabel? But then Edith, she says that she feels a bit guilty because uh, her being here means that her father is eating alone because her mother has her luncheon on a tray. And Violet says, remember, if you marry, include your spouse whenever you can. Edith answers, you don't believe in spending time apart then, Violet answers. Certainly not. The devil makes work for either husbands. Well, Violet, aren't you right? Because then Robert is having lunch alone without even Carson, because Carson is taking half of wine delivery. And it's Jane who brings him the pudding. I love how he says that, has Carson abandoned me? And the way he says that, he feels like a little boy. And you're like, oh, I'm alone to eat, you know, and now even the butler has left me. But he has planned to actually leave him forever. And can I just take a second to just talk about the pudding? It's a huge plate just for him. And he takes, what, a tiny spoon? I was shocked. I was like, this giant plate just for him. And I'm really wondering, what do they do with the rest of it? You know, do you think the servants eat them? I don't know. And so they talk about Jane's son. But it's Robert who has the question. Well, the fact that he asks questions, I'm not really... Uh, angry at that because Robert is he's kind he's nice and you know he wants to make the conversation because if he's lonely but they're a bit too at ease with each other like they laugh they, they're a bit too close even like he smiles like but we haven't seen him smile for a while actually so it's quite sad but yeah do not like it then Carson arrives and he is not happy about what he sees he's like this is absolutely not proper so he asks Jane to leave and he asks Robert, say, I hope that she didn't speak out of turn. And Robert's like, no, you know, it's my fault. Okay. I asked the questions. It's my fault. But you see the look on Carson's face, not happy about what just happened. And we are certainly not happy about what just happened. And then another deleted scene where Jane is downstairs. And then she says to Mrs. Patmore, he's nice, Lord Grantham, isn't he? Miss Patmore's like, yes, very nice, very considerate man. And then Jane answers, that's good to know. The look on Mrs. Patmore's face. And then she has to look at Daisy. They look at each other like, uh, what? Uh, yes, what? That's good to know. <laughs> Calm down, girl, okay? He's married. You do not think about anything. And then just a very sweet scene. Robert has a new jacket, like he bought, um, I think they call it black tie. He's so happy about it. He has face. What do you think? He's so happy about it. And what I think is sweet and a bit sad. I said, well, I can wear it when her ladyship and I are alone together. And I don't know why this makes me sad because a part of me thinks it's been a while they haven't been alone together, but like alone in a kind of a romantic way, you know, not just alone, like fighting to each other. And I thought it was really sweet that he wanted to wear it when he and Cora would be alone together because that means, you know, he still loves Cora, but we know he still does, but you know what I mean. He was so happy about his new jacket. 
And then we had this whole situation with the guy who might be Patrick and stuff. And then he's alone in the library. And obviously someone has to check if there's someone in the library that someone has to be Jane because there's no other maid in this house. And she's like, oh, maybe can I fetch you something? <sighs> I mean, she's just doing her job, technically. But no, do not speak to him. <laughs> it's the way she looks at him. Like, you see that she's attracted to him. You see it the way she looks at him. And I don't like it because we said Robert's very kind, very friendly, but he looks at her a bit too long every time. Like I said, Robert's already depressed. We said that. He's very lonely because he's alone and his wife doesn't really take care of him anymore. And then, so like I said, the dinner when Carla arrives in Lavinia, Cora's like, oh my dear, so lovely to see you. Robert, the moment Lavinia arrived, the way he looks at Cora, I mean, you know the killing looks I've told you about? It's almost one of them. It's so heartbreaking the way he looks at her because you feel his anger and even his hurt. You feel that he's hurt by what his wife did without telling him. I think there's a lot in it. The fact that his wife did that and the fact that she did that without telling him. And his look, you see the heartbreak and the hurt and the anger and everything. And so he plays along and says, oh yes, we knew you were coming because it would be awkward to make Lavinia realize that they were not expecting her. But the look he gives Cora, because he looks at her first when Lavinia just comes in. But then when uh, Cora is like, oh, but you know, maybe Mrs. Hughes can put something on the tray and stuff. And then she turns and she looks at her husband. The look, I mean, it's awful. And so well, then he had to explode a bit. Robert is very angry at Cora. And Cora, she says, before you get angry with me, it's not pretend that Mary, she's not too attached to Matthew, which is true. Okay, it's true. And Robert is angry because he said, oh, because our daughter is too attached to Matthew. So you just bring Lavinia back to be sacrificed because that's a bit what it is. Because in either way, for now, still Matthew can't have children. Like he can't have a normal like married life, we could say that. And so she said, I don't want that for Mary, so I just took Lavinia to come in the picture so that Mary would get married to Richard. Then she says, him, do you want uh, Mary's marriage to be a success? Do you want grandchildren? And then he says to her, Sometimes, Cora, you can be curiously unfeeling. And you see when he says that, that he's hurt by this whole situation because Matthew is like a son to him and he's like, yeah, it's, he's hurt. There's so many things that happened to him before. Like, like I said, it's an accumulation of a lot of things. But I think you see when he says that, they're hurting Cora too. Like, because Cora, she sighs a lot, especially it's the two, because the whole thing when she talks with Robert about the fact that he'd be alone for luncheon, she does it while sighing, like truly. But it's the way that her body expresses itself that you realize that she's hurt by what he says because Julian said that she did that because she's a mother and she wants the best for her daughter, that she wants her to maybe have children, that she wants her to have a good marriage and that she wants the best, so she did that. But for me, the central of this thing is still the Pamu scandal. I know I say it a lot, but for me, it is the problem because Richard, he's a very powerful and quite scary man and he knows the scandal and he has it. And I think she's scared that if Mary does not accept Richard and he's too close to Matthew, he will just let the scandal out. And so Mary would be ruined, but only Mary because she would be too, because she's a mother and with the whole household. But so many things are at stake with this story. Because I think if Robert knew the story, maybe at that moment she could have said to him, said, yeah, but we have an issue because 
you know you have the story and Carla knows it and if she's getting married to Carla then he won't say a thing you know because I think Palmy still wants her to be with Matthew because they're in love with each other I think for me the scandal is just the thing that drives him apart not just that but it's the first step and it is always in the center especially with the whole Matthew, Mary, Lavinia, Richard, the whole love square. The scandal is at the center of that. And the issue is that Robert, he loves Mary. He loves Matthew. And what he sees is that Carla, he doesn't like him. And for him, it's, it's impossible to think that his daughter that he loves would get married to this guy because like, I can't stand him. And he knows she's in love with Matthew. He knows Matthew is in love with Mary, even maybe if he's a bit in love with Lavinia. But so for him, it's like, just get married, for God's sake, you know? And so I think, again, I'm taking a lot of Cora's defense because she has, I already said it, has trouble of saying things. And especially when they are too much or too intense. And everything that she fears with this candle is way too intense. Like her anxiety must have been top level. And she's always on the defensive. Everything she does, she's always like, almost like if she feels threatened or attacked. And especially we say in the episode that follows, but you can see that she's hurt by what Robert says because she appears unfeeling because she fears way too much things and she can't or she doesn't know how to express them. I don't know if you understand me. And I'm still convinced that the scandal, Pamuk is at the middle there because she's stressed by it and she wants the best for her daughter. And I don't think she likes Carly that much. She just thinks this is the best option for her so that everything would go smoothly and she can have quite a nice life. But so, yeah, so our Corbett are like, it's not the breaking point, but it's the start really of the breaking point. And he just found in the maids a bit more sympathy. And I think he talked more with Jane than he talked with Cora. Like he talked more in, with Jane in like two days. Like he talked with Cora, which is the beginning of the war. I exaggerate a bit. But since the house was turning convalescence home, I don't think he really had a proper conversation with his wife. And not just a conversation about the kids or, you know, just a conversation between the two of them and not something that, when they're not angry at. You know, they always had a distance. I don't know how to say it, but yeah, it's very sad. And I'm very sad because I know what's going to happen next episode and I'm not ready for that. Bananas. And now to end this episode, the title of my episode is The One Where the War is Over. So, the war is over. At the moment, Robert comes downstairs to say to the servants that the war is over and that the ceasefire will be at 11 o'clock on the 11th of November. So the 11th of the 11th. And he says that he wants everybody to be there in the Grey Hall for this event. And then we have so the scene on the 11th of November at 11 o'clock. I think this is a beautiful scene, very moving. They're all in the Great Hall. So you have the staff on one side, you have the soldiers that are still at Downton, that are here and the family. Very beautiful scene. So they take a moment of silence to remember all those who never came back. And Robert says, Remember, this is not just the end of a long war, but it is the dawn of a new age. Again, Robert the poet. I'm still convinced that Robert has the soul of a poet. But so yeah, now the war is over. And I like it, the fact that they decided to end the war before the end of the season. So we have things that happen after it. I really really enjoyed that and so maybe you think the war is over maybe robert will be better cobert will be back strong in the game well not exactly <laughs> bananas but so yeah the war is over that's the end of this episode 
I hope you liked it. As usual, don't hesitate to send me a message anywhere if you just want to chat on downtime people, even on anything else, truly, I'm open to just, if you want to talk to someone about troubles in life or even stupid things, really, I'm your man. I would love to chat with you about anything, truly. I mean it. So yeah, on that note, I will see you next Sunday to talk about episode 7 of season 2 of Downtown Abbey. Cobra Chippers, be ready. This one, we hurt. But yeah, until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, and don't forget, Vive le défense!